Welcome to Flex Perspectives, where I interview the thought leaders, innovators, and executives shaping the future of flexible work. Flex Perspectives is brought to you by the Flex Index, the world's most robust source for full-time, hybrid, and remote work requirements. The Flex Index represents more than 4,500 companies, 30,000 office locations, and 100 million people. It's a great place to start if you're looking for your next flexible work career opportunity. Today, my guest is Tiffany Dufu. Tiffany is the founder and CEO at The Crew and is the best-selling author of Drop the Ball, Achieving More by Doing Less. Today, we'll discuss Tiffany's journey as a founder and how the experience of leading a company through the pandemic taught her better practices around self-care and boundaries. We'll also discuss how to build community and find mentors virtually, plus tips and tricks Tiffany uses at her company to help build relationships without being in person. Tiffany, welcome. Thank you for having me. Tiffany, I really appreciate you coming. Uh, you've had such a fascinating career, including being on the launch team for Lean In, a board member at Girls Who Code, and now founder and CEO of The Crew. Tell me, how did those different experiences lead you to want to start a company? Well, it's interesting that you say all of these different experiences, because from my perspective, I've been doing the same exact thing my entire career. My life's work is advancing women and girls. That's pretty much why I'm on the planet. And whether it's helping to launch a girl's middle school, whether it's writing a book to help women create lives that they're passionate about, whether it's being on the launch team for Lean In or working to get women in political office or founding a company, for me, it's all figuring out how do we harness women and girls' talent and ingenuity for the benefit of all of us. And if embarking on that journey and leveraging my impact means that I need to figure out how to write and publish a book, even though I've never done that before, I'm going to do that. You know, if it means that I need to figure out how to start a company when I've never done that before, I'm going to do it. If it means I have to figure out how to raise venture capital when I've never done that, I don't know any venture capitalist, I'm going to do it because that's that's what I'm here to do. That's awesome. Uh, so tell me, what is the crew? And give me a sense for how many women have actually uh, gone through the program so far. The crew matches women in accountability circles to help them meet their life goals. So just imagine that you want to do something, whether it's get a promotion, start a meditation practice, you want to pay off your student loans, spend more time with your kids. Part of the reason why really busy, especially mid-career women, don't often achieve their goals or ambitions is not because they're lazy or they don't care or they procrastinate. It's because they've just got a lot on their plates. So what you do in the crew is you upload your goals to a digital tracking tool with actions against it. And once a month, you meet with a group of people who are there to hold you accountable. It's the same behavioral science model that makes AA work. It makes Weight Watchers work. We're all 90% more likely to realize a goal if we have written it down, we're tracking it, and we're meeting on a regular basis with one or more people who are holding our feet to the fire. We do that for really busy women, and it's very exciting. We have over 3,500 women now who have done everything from started a yoga practice to launch a business to getting a new role at their job to graduating with their graduate degrees through the support of their crew. That's awesome. Um, so you started the crew in 2018. So I guess almost or a little over five years ago at this point. Um, what was life like for you in the early days as a founder? Oh, 
it was crazy. Um, you know, the great thing about being a founder or doing anything that you haven't done before is that you have no idea what you're getting into, which really is a gift. So in the early days, for me, it was about figuring out what is the next milestone that I need to demonstrate or prove in order to convince myself that I haven't gone crazy and that I'm on the right track. So in the very beginning, it was, I'm going to post a video on social media. And it's basically just going to say, hi, I'm Tiffany Dufu. I'm smart and I've done a lot of great stuff, but the secret to my success is my crew. I'm going to describe what my personal crew has done for me and then ask people to apply by pushing a button. And if a lot of people push that button and say they need a crew, I will know that I'm onto something. That was kind of the first milestone. The next milestone, this should probably cost something. You know what? I'm going to say that this costs $499 a year. That's going to be the annual membership. And I'm going to send the invitations. And if women actually sign up and pay me, give me their credit card and pay $499 to meet a group of women that they've never met before. They don't know who's in their crew. But the promise of this community and this process is enough to have them part with $499 I'll know that I'm onto something. So it was just a series in the beginning of what do I need to demonstrate or prove in order to know that we should continue with the next step. Got it. And uh, in those early days, uh, what was it like for you personally? Were you taking care of yourself? Were you working all the time? Did you find balance? Like, how did you find those those kind of early innings of what it meant to build? Well, I'm one of those people who just kind of works all the time anyway. I think they they call us workaholics, but I feel like that's a little unfair. I feel like people who call us workaholics are maybe people who don't enjoy and love and live and you know their work <laughs> because I would get up in day every day and do what I'm doing even if there was no compensation attached to it truly. So in the very beginning, yes, I, I worked a lot and. I would say that I probably didn't do the best job in the beginning of maintaining my wellness, but I also have clarity about when I reach a threshold that my wellness becomes non-negotiable and I know what to do in order to counterbalance. So I have a lot of strategies for ensuring that I'm getting refreshed and that I'm getting renewed. I know what brings me joy, whether it's dancing to Shakira or Beyonce each night, or I have a broken toe right now, so I haven't been able to do that. (laughs) But I'm obsessed with books. Uh, Last night I was reading an amazing novel called Elizabeth Street. I always have in my bag or my desk drawers. I don't know why I'm taking this out right now because this is a podcast and it's not like anybody can see it. But just for you, Rob, my lavender oil that I'm always rubbing on my wrist or I'm rubbing it on my hands and then I'm taking deep breaths with the lavender oil like multiple times a day. There's always water. I love sparkling water. So I typically have that handy. I've got all kinds of little small sustainability hacks that get me through when I feel like I need that. Did you always have these things? Are they things that you that you figured out in the early times of being a founder? Or I'm curious, uh, how did they kind of evolve over time into into your own kind of personal toolkit for how you handle uh, the the craziness of what it means to build a company? Yeah. So 
a lot of my sustainability practice came before I founded the Chrome. They actually came as a part of my journey that I write about and drop the ball. I used to be one of those people who never dropped a ball. I was terrified of dropping any balls. I used to feel like it meant that I was failing to take timely action, that I was irresponsible, that I would be disappointing people and myself and as dramatic as it sounds now that I'm about to say this out loud, that I would be disappointing the entire Black race, as in, if I mess this up, they're never going to hire another Black person again. I used to be one of those people. And over the course of a three-year period, I basically had to reimagine and reappropriate the term, drop the ball, so that it really meant getting clear about my highest and best use and and achieving what really matters most to me and engaging other people. And it was a part of that journey, that process over a decade ago that really caused me to realize if I don't have a very tangible strategy that can be accomplished with little to no money (laughs) in less than 30 minutes to help me reframe myself I'm going to be in trouble because I do plan on doing a lot of things to create change in the world. And and it means that I'm going to have to be constantly putting pressure on myself and and I need to have a way to, to let go. So I imagine when the pandemic hit and you went home that that probably put some of those practices that you had put in place over time to the test. Tell me a little bit about that part of the experience and how you adjusted when, uh, you know, when March, 2020 came around. Oh, absolutely. I think that was for all of us that we had this experience of needing to figure out how am I going to do all of this, uh, particularly in playing different roles. So the big piece for me that I had to adjust to was before the pandemic, everyone in my home got up every day, took a shower, left and went off to school or work. And we fulfilled our responsibilities outside of the home, outside of the home. All of a sudden, in the wake of the pandemic, we were all under one roof. And it was a small roof. I live in a two-bedroom apartment in Harlem. There were four people. And the biggest adjustment was around boundaries uh, because all of a sudden, I was perceived as being available all of the time since I was under this roof in which typically I would be available, but now I had to run a company and fulfill all of these other roles um, at the same time. So one was we had to figure out how to carve up space. And I had one room that basically became my bedroom and my office and my yoga studio and my son's you know, guitar jamming session room when it was available. And then I had to set up boundaries primarily for my family just to communicate to them when I was available and when I wasn't in a way that I never really had to before. For me, footwear was the solution. I got three pairs of slippers and one I wore when I was founder and CEO of the crew pretty much for most of the workday. When I had those on, everyone knew she's unavailable. She's running the crew right now. I had another pair of slippers that was my wife and mom slippers. When I had those slippers on, I would make your quesadilla. I would iron your shirt. I would 
help you with whatever you needed. And then I had to get a third pair that was just the me time slippers. When I have on these slippers, I'm just coming out of my room office to make myself a cup of tea and grab a book, um, but I'm not available. So it really came to a point where I would emerge from the room and people would look at my feet to figure out which Tiffany, you know, was coming out of the room and what that meant for my engagement with them. But that's just one hack that I had to figure out in order to get through the pandemic. There were lots of boundaries that we had to put in place. I love that so much um, for a few reasons, Tiffany. Uh, my brother is my co-founder at Scoop, and there are so many conversations over the years where we talk about you know, what hat are you wearing? Is this us talking as co-founders? Is it as CEO and chief product officer? Is this actually as brothers if we're trying to navigate something in our personal relationship that's actually like totally separate from this thing that we're talking about right now? And so the slippers is such a, you know, a, it, it's so easy for me to resonate with that. And I love that as such a visual symbol of how do you um, create some distinction for the people in your life as to what's going on with you. Absolutely. You ever have a moment, I imagine there must be, I have an uh, almost two-year-old, as you know, right? But I feel like maybe there are a moment where you come out with a slipper that is the, um, I'm helping and make the quesadilla and you really wish you would put on the me time slipper like right away and want to switch. I imagine that led to some funny moments at home. Yes. Uh, so you know, now we're obviously a few years further into this. And um, I imagine not only have you become more, uh, set and effective in your own personal boundaries and how do you think about um, what it means to work from home versus work in the office. But I imagine that comes up a lot in uh, the community that you're building and for uh, for women in the crew. What do you advise women in terms of how do they think about setting their boundaries and when they're at home communicating when they're working at home versus they're being a mom or being something um, else to the people around them? Is that something that that you that you spend time on or you hear a lot about from from women in the community? Well, certainly, in part because women are uploading their goals, they're uploading their intentions, and we mine those in order to help deliver to them just experts and leaders and programming and any tools that we can in order to support them. And there's no doubt that boundary setting, <laughs> figuring out what I'm going to do next. So a lot of real thoughtfulness around what am I actually here to do and what is my highest and best use? How am I going to apply my skills my gifts, my talents, my abilities to making a difference in the world when all of a sudden I have more responsibility than I've ever had before. Now, I was in a unique situation um, and in a bit of a sweet spot and that my kids at the time of the pandemic were adolescents. They were preteens. They're now teenagers. So these are not, these are people who can see the slippers uh, and be like, ooh, let me make my own pizza right now because she's not doing that. Uh, I think that the reality of a lot of women's lives, really in the context of caregiving, meant that they had to reevaluate fundamentally what it meant to be a good anything. So if I am going to be a good manager, what did that mean before? How did I prioritize my time? What did I invest my time in? What does it mean to be a good manager now in this new context? I was a mom before. I had a certain set of responsibilities and tasks and expectations of myself. What does it mean to be a good mom now? I think we've, we've had to recalibrate. And that's really the conversation that I'm seeing, along with a lot less patience 
for workplaces that are not investing in the holistic nature of people's lives. You know, it used to be before the pandemic that if she loved sales, she loved that function, she could engage with her clients, be fulfilled by helping them to do X, Y, or Z, that she perceived that as her job and that it was very rewarding, even if she had a boss who was not so flexible. Well, now she's in a world where that inflexibility has much more enormous impact on her personal life, her ability to do her job really well and engage with the client. So now the job is not just my function. It's not just what I do. The job is who's managing me and do they care about my well-being and are they prioritizing that? What kind of policies and practices does this company have in place in order to support caregivers? Are they providing us a hybrid work situation? What's the flex work, you know, optionality? Um, does it matter? Do I have to be in the city where I previously was or can I be someplace else? And all of that factors into their decision-making about whether or not they're getting what they need from their employer in a way that it just didn't before. It's so interesting. Do you, within the crew, do you both capture, because it sounds like if I understand correctly, right, there's a there's a bit of accountability and, and I imagine asking the other people in your crew for their own tips and tricks around how they've worked through certain questions or help with accountability in that regard. Are there also kind of like global best practices that start to emerge that you see across the different crews in terms of how do I have that conversation with my manager around me as a whole person and what it means to be flexible? Or how do I get better about understanding what it means to be a manager in the current context or a mother in the current context, given that the world is different than it was a few years ago? Well, what's interesting that I see more of are women within the constellation deciding that these are issues that they want to talk about and that they want to support women on. So what I think is really incredible is seeing all of the women who are now becoming coaches, you know, all of the women who are offering strategies and who are offering themselves and who are offering creating organizations that are designed to support women with this. It's a, it's an innovative entrepreneurial bug that I feel like has happened around these unspoken issues that have really come out into the limelight since the pandemic has basically caused the fabric, you know, of sustainability for a lot of women to just kind of get ripped out from underneath them. Before the pandemic, women bore undue responsibility in multiple areas of their lives. But a lot of us had band-aids to kind of cover that, whether it was outsourcing to other people, largely women who did the work, there was infrastructure in place. And during the pandemic, that infrastructure just came right you know, from underneath us. And so what became really clear was we were responsible for it no matter what. And and I just love that the community has rallied around. And I love the entrepreneurship that I see in terms of just solving some of these dilemmas and challenges. I think that is so amazing that not only is the crew supportive of each other, but it's it's both, it seems like teasing out themes that are causing women to make different career choices and want to coach or, or help others with problems that they see happening on a regular basis. Like that, that entrepreneurial bent of the community, I think is really fantastic. It's amazing. Uh, so a couple of questions I was curious about, uh, 
it, you you spoke at the very beginning about how important it was for you personally to have a crew, right? And that that was some of the motivation for why um, you started the company in the first place. Um, do you think it's more important now? Is it the same and it's just become more visible because of the experience of having gone through the pandemic? Or why is it so important at this moment for women to have a crew around them to support them? Well, to be clear, my life's work is advancing women and girls. So I care deeply about them. I think everybody should have a crew. (laughs) Men, women, whoever you are, I think everybody should have a crew. I think it's a social category that needs to take hold, largely because many of us, and this is true for a lot of women, but it's true for men too, we spend the vast majority of our time managing the incoming. So if you look at your calendar, you look at your phone, you're responding to other people, whether it's your boss, whether it's your team, whether it's your brother uh, or your kids or your pet goldfish or dog, maybe it's your community at a synagogue or a mosque or a church or it's the neighborhood. We spend a lot of time giving ourselves away. We spent a lot less time imagining and thinking about, and most importantly, executing on our own ambitions, right? What is it that I need to do in the next three months in order to realize my human potential? We spend very little time. And even when we imagine it, because maybe we read a self-help book and it got us all excited about it, as soon as we put the book down and we move on to the next Slack or the next email or the next text message or the next meeting, we're back to being on the defense and not the offense. So I think what a crew does is if it's managed well, and we use a peer inquiry-based model of coaching one another, it basically holds your feet to the fire for your own ambition and your own dreams in a way I believe everyone needs. But I'm committed to women getting because I have a theory of change that if we had more women in the highest levels of leadership, we could solve some of our most intractable problems. I'm agnostic to the problem. Some people wake up caring deeply about our economy, healthcare, education, the sustainability of our planet. At the end of the day, There are human beings sitting around big wooden marble tables or they're on WebEx or they're on Zoom (laughs) making decisions that impact all of us. And I believe that until that group of people involves more people of color, includes more members of our LGBTQ community, includes more women, includes more people from different socioeconomic, religious backgrounds, the biggest crisis we face is a crisis of leadership. And I think in order to move people forward, especially people who are stuck in the middle, in middle management, whether they're languishing or whether they just can't seem to get ahead or we're losing them, I think a crew is a great solution to keep them focused on how we can really leverage them for the long term. I think it's it's incredibly inspiring to hear the way you talk about it. And the passion just, I think, just like comes through so clearly on the topic. Uh, One thing I'm curious about in that regard is our... Are most of the conversations that you find in the different crews, do they do they uh, tend to move more toward the professional and what it means to move where you want to go in your career? Are they more personal? And how do you think about um, elements of your personal life or other things that maybe are important personally to you? Is it a blend? Like, where do you see most of the time being spent? It's both. About half of the intentions that are uploaded fall into the category of career. 
So, and that's in large part because a vast majority, nearly 70% of our members do, they're they're employed full time. So a big chunk of their time and their ambition and then their success is connected to their career. But from the very beginning, I knew that the crew would not work if the only intentions that were uploaded were those related to career. Because we all know that what's happening in your personal life plays a significant role in your ability to accelerate your career. One of the interesting aspects of the career, something that surprised me that I wasn't anticipating, although when I think about it, of course it makes sense, were the number of women who uploaded that they wanted to accelerate in their career in some way, but that also uploaded that they needed to shift their personal relationship and more specifically that they needed to file for divorce. Now, that's a very personal intention that normally you don't connect to the professional world or life. It's not even typically something that you would talk about at work. But anyone, anyone who has been in a marriage or in a long-term partnership can tell you that the quality of that relationship has a huge influence on your success at work. it's so integrated. And so to have a location, a destination, a place where people can upload, I really need to pay off my student loans. And I also need to get this promotion, I think is really important in order to fuel success. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I also wonder if the need for this, while it was incredibly important, obviously, five years ago, right, even before the pandemic, I wonder if in this world where we're not in an office necessarily every day. And that piece of our community maybe functions a little bit differently than it did prior to the pandemic, whether this outlet or opportunity to engage with others that way becomes that much more important. Oh, I think even more so because we all need human connection and we need that connection to be meaningful. And what happens in this world where we show up for just the agenda, for just the work on some kind of video conference call, but we're not stopping, you know, in the hallway with our cup of coffee to just say, how are you doing? Condolences. I'm sorry for your loss. You know, it makes an impact. I injured myself. I think I might've said this already that I have a broken toe and quite, and no one knows in this virtual world because you're not looking at my toe. And so, but I I work out of a co-working space and all of the colleagues that I work with in my co-working space know that I have a broken toe and they're asking me, how are you doing? How are you managing? They help me up the stairs. Sometimes they bring me a snack from upstairs because it's a little bit more cumbersome. The empathy and the community that I get and the affirmation that I get simply because they can see physically what is happening with me has to somehow be simulated in this virtual world. And taking the opportunity to talk about what's happening in our lives in a deeper way and being held accountable for moving that forward and getting insight from people, I just can't think of a better opportunity for us to stay human in a very digital world. Totally. How do you, given you're such an expert in this topic of not only community, but clearly at this point, uh, building community virtually, right? Across people who may be in different locations that you don't see physically that often. How do you advise 
people build community within their workplace um, when they don't see each other as much. Like you, you mentioned the importance of being able to have that relationship and share things like my toe is broken and, and, and kind of like things that you, maybe you would see, obviously, but you don't in the same regard virtually. Um, when people ask you, like, what do you say are the important steps to take to try and reproduce that as best as you can within your workplace? There are a number of ways I think that you can do it. I mean, there are some things that I do personally and that we also just do at the crew. One of my favorite, it seems so small, is to try to simulate the exchange that happens between meetings in the real world. So we use Zoom, some people, you know, whatever platform you use, most of us have a waiting room. And what we do is we wrap up a conversation and then we let that conversation end. And then we let the next person into the waiting room. But, you know, if we were in the real world, that's not how it would happen. There would be an exchange of the person who was coming in and out of the office. So I, before I've completely wrapped up the call, I actually let the next person into the Zoom. I love that. And the other person just kind of says, oh my gosh. And I say, no, no, I'm like meeting with her next. And then they have an opportunity to simulate. They're both standing there with their mugs. Hey, how are you? How are you? There's like a, there's like a bit of an exchange and it just feels more human to me. You know, when I say, oh, I'm going to meet with Cindy next, we're going to talk about X, Y, or Z. Is there anything that you guys need to chat about? Oh, I'll see you later. That's just, you know, one. Another one is... I think that's brilliant, by the way. I mean, it's funny yes. because it's such a small thing, but it really is. You're, you were simulating the idea of like, okay, someone's waiting outside a conference room and you're going to yes. have a chance to chat as people move in and out. Like, I love that. Yes, absolutely. The other thing is to simulate the water cooler meeting after the meeting that really is the meeting. So we'll have a virtual meeting. And then right after we end the Zoom, I pick up my phone and I start dialing people. And I say, when they answer, this is the water cooler meeting that happens, you know, like right after the meeting. And we chit chat for a few minutes about what just happened in the meeting. What do you really think? So that's just another little strategy that I use in order to try to simulate more real in-person <laughs> exchange in the midst of a world in which it's really hard to do that. And one other thing I was curious about, Tiffany, because you talk about the role of the crew and not only the kind of like holding accountability, um, but also I imagine there's some amount of mentorship feeling between maybe people who have more experience, women have more experience in one thing versus another and sharing. Um, Aside from some of the best practice you talked about in terms of how do you build community within companies, um, how do you think about that when it comes to, to mentorship? Are there any kind of like lessons learned from the way the crew operates for finding mentors or being better mentors to others within a virtual workplace? Well, I would consider the crew a peer mentorship platform, certainly uh, people who are at the same level and are going through the same thing can do what I think any effective mentor does, which is to help you to achieve clarity through guidance and encouragement. One of the things that we encourage members to do as they upload intentions related to their career is to think about who at work do you need to help you achieve clarity for guidance and encouragement? Who needs to know what work you've done? Who should know about that, that you're a superstar? 
what are the rooms in which people are going to be talking about and making decisions about you, about your career, and about who's going to advance? And is there somebody there throwing their body on the table for you? So certainly, I think as a part of your career plan, you should have those people in place. And the crew can be a conduit for you achieving that. But I will say that the crew has been most effective when individuals are matched who perceive themselves as peers. Um, So that they're all typically at the same level. That makes sense. So maybe to flip for one second, you talked a little bit about how much more important now um, some of the topics around flexibility are for women in thinking about the whole person when it comes to work and work in life. Um, For executives, um, and a lot of our listeners are executives at companies um, who are interested in hearing from future of work thought leaders, for executives, how should they be thinking about strengthening their community virtually within their company, especially on the days maybe everybody isn't in the office together. Are there any things you've seen companies do particularly well um, or crew members have talked about their companies doing particularly well to help in that regard? I think the things that companies are doing that feel authentic uh, because you can put a lot of policies in place, but getting people to participate and getting people to feel that it's genuine and that it's going to help move themselves forward, I think is always the the tough part. The companies that are doing really well are ones that are bringing things like joy and fun um, into the workspace. Um, There's one company, and I I actually adopted this uh, at the crew, that decided that they would use a storytelling function or, or expression so that individual people would take turns giving presentations just about something in their personal life. They could just be teaching everyone how to, you know, stitch uh, a quilt or what, you know, whatever it is. And very briefly, not more than 20 minutes. And it gave everybody a window on a rotating basis into the people that they worked with. Another company decided that Fridays would be Focus Fridays. I think they called it something else, but we at the crew decided we would call call it Focus Fridays, where there's no internal meetings that are scheduled on Fridays. And it just makes a big difference, even when you're scheduling and, and calendaring your time together to know that Friday is going to be kept sacred. So I, I think that there are you know, executives who really understand people are human. We want to develop meaningful relationships. We want to do it across boundaries and in ways that are safe, but that also are fun and that also can bring us joy and they can bring down our level of anxiety by relieving some of the meetings on our calendars, I think are the ones that really win and really get it. If you could deliver, you know, maybe to wrap up, if you could deliver kind of one message to companies bit from all of the learnings and experience that you've had with uh, women in the crew and what you're hearing in terms of how best to support them in building community, in uh, supporting their whole selves, kind of like what what's the most important message in some ways that you would deliver? Pledge your allegiance to her success above and beyond your company, above and beyond your company. One of the fascinating things about the data at the crew, and by the way, you know, companies are engaging with us because they get incredible insights uh, by looking at these categories and subcategories of intentions, 
is that women who upload that they want to find a new job aren't, when you dig deeper, that interested in finding a new company. Uh, They often really value their company. But the politics of having to manage communicating to their boss that maybe they don't want to work for them or that they want to work for their team or they don't want to be in that unit. All of that is so taxing and cumbersome that they find it easier to just apply for a role outside of the company entirely. You could retain so much more talent by simply training your managers to articulate their allegiance to a woman's success, even if you're not on my team. Even if you're not in this unit, even if I'm not your boss, I want you to be successful here. So talk to me about your growth. Talk to me about where you want to go so we can map out a plan and strategy. That is that is the number one thing. I just see it over and over and over again that I wish the self-interest could be taken out of our commitment to her success. We'd retain her. That's why it's so critical. That's so powerful. And the idea, the idea that the conversation or fear of the conversation, it could be so daunting that actually uh, a person might choose to leave rather than try and navigate internally. I think it's just very eye-opening and important thing to remember. Uh, One of the things, Tiffany, that we do always at the end of every episode is we do a few uh, very quick rapid fire questions just so folks can get to know you personally a little bit more, if that's okay. Of course. Uh, So uh, first one, what was your first job? A telemarketer. Telemarketer, what were you selling? I can't even remember. It was a terrible job, but it taught me that people could say no and it's not personal. It's a great lesson. Um, what is the best book you've read lately? Viola Davis's memoir, Finding Me. I recommend it to everybody. Oh, I have to check that out. Yeah. Um, okay. When you do video conference, typically, are you video on or video off? On, always on. Always on? How come? Because I want to see people. I want to see their response. I want to see that what's in their eyes. I want to see their, their reaction. I want to know whether or not they can hear me uh, in a deeper way. Totally. I am too, for what it's worth. Uh, show or movie that you are obsessed with right now? I read lots and lots of books. And people ask, how do you have time to read so many books? And it's because... When I watch TV, which is about to tell you how long it's been, the shows that I loved were Ally McBeal. I loved Living Single. I loved X-Files. I loved 24. But that that just tells you how long it's been since I've been watching watched television. That's, that's okay. I'm a big reader also, so I totally get it. Um, what is uh, one future of work thinker or writer, speaker that you really respect? There are so many. The first person that just came to my mind was my colleague and dear friend, Reshma Saujani. She founded Girls Who Code. She now is focused on moms. She's got a movement called Moms First. And I just think her commitment to changing public policy and changing cultural perceptions to really advance women in the workplace is, is incredible. Awesome. And one final question, where should listeners go if they want to learn more about you or read more of your work? Most people find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm an easy 
I'm an easy Google search because I think I'm the only Tiffany Dufu in the world. So it's just Tiffany Dufu, D-U-F is in Frank, U on LinkedIn. You can also check out the crew at thecrew.com and it's C-R-U. Awesome. Tiffany, uh, I really appreciate the time. I find you super inspiring on these topics and I really appreciate the conversation. So thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. It was fun. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please also consider giving us a rating or leaving a review as that helps other listeners find the podcast. For more Flex Index content, including past episodes, our Flex Index newsletter, and monthly research reports, visit flex.scoopforwork.com. See you next time.